Good. All right. We are live right now. Thank you very, very much. Uh, good afternoon. We were talking a little bit earlier, depending on where you are in the world. Good morning, good evening, whatever you want. Um, today we are joined by Enrico, uh, who is located in Italy, in the north, in what is somewhat considered to be the gelato capital of the world, a city called Rimini. You definitely need to check it out. His wife works at a trade show that is attended by 200,000 people on a yearly basis that is normally held, I believe, in January. Anyway, Enrico, very, very good to have you with us here today. We'll try not to talk too much about gelato. We're here to talk about some other things. Very nice to have you. Could you just give us a brief introduction about who you yeah, are sure. and, and what we're going to be talking about today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, as you said, I live in Rimini, so it's a small town, uh, 200 kilometers south of Venice, and I'm a gigam analyst for uh, data storage. And this is probably why I am here today. In, in general, uh, you can think of me about uh, a long-time practitioner that moved to to a different role lately because, uh, you know, it was interesting to see uh, things from the other side of the fence and not just doing them. And uh, I started uh, with, with a blog many years ago now, and uh, it evolved uh, in time. And then, um, you know, somebody asked me to to be more uh, formal, so less informal uh, than a blogger, and I started to do this. So data storage is my passion. I started working in data storage in the early 90s. Uh, so I developed a lot of uh, connection in the industry with uh, both uh, you know users as well as vendors. And uh, I think uh, it's pretty much it. Okay, good. Well, that being said, we can just jump right ahead into your presentation. As always, feel free to for folks in the audience to put your questions in in the in the comments in in the chat section in YouTube. Um, if we don't get to any of the questions, we can always continue the conversation later on today or this week or next week as well in Slack. Um, so that being said, Enrico, it's all yours. Okay, fantastic. Thank Let's you very it. much. So, uh, just a quick look at the agenda. First of all, we will have an introduction. Uh, about uh, storage for Kubernetes. Then we will do a short comparison about uh, Kubernetes native uh, solution uh, against enterprise uh, solution, traditional solution that has CSI compatibility, uh, important evaluation metrics uh, to look at when you, uh, you make these kind of choices. The, the key criteria for evaluating uh, data storage for uh, Kubernetes, and uh, we also uh, we will have a look on uh, emerging technology to consider for the medium long run. And uh, last but not least, a short uh, market landscape analysis. So all of this content comes from one of my reports that has been published uh, um, a few weeks ago. So it's new stuff, and uh, it comes from a long research that we conducted in uh, with. Uh, with all the vendors that are in uh, in this space. So I want to start uh, by sharing with you a question and uh, we will uh, um, share the results of these polls at the end. So what is your current storage for uh, Kubernetes? And uh, you can pick one of those. So I don't have one yet. It's deployed in the cloud. Uh, so there are cloud resources uh, from uh, from the cloud provider, a traditional storage with a CSI, a open source, a free Kubernetes native solution or a commercial Kubernetes native solution. So please answer, this will help us to understand better the audience, but also to will help in the end to, to have a better discussion. Good. So just, just so everyone knows, I put the, uh, the link to the question in the chat. So you just got to click on that and you can answer that there. And I'll do that with the following questions as well, because there will be some other questions later on. Okay, fantastic. So without any further ado, uh, what is CSI? So Kubernetes storage interface, uh, sorry, container storage interface. And so in uh, uh, usually when we talk about uh, storage for Kubernetes, we, uh, we think about CSI as the standard now, but we went through a lot of iteration before. So some uh, very proprietary uh, stuff, and then we, we had some... Uh, some initiatives that didn't go very well. Finally, we had uh, this uh, CSI, and this is not the only interface. So the CSI interface is something that abstracts physical storage from, uh, uh, from the container layer. And this uh, uh, implies that uh, 
as an abstraction, you have uh, APIs to interact with storage to provide uh, um, resources that are necessary to your system. CSI is a uh, is evolving quickly. Uh, every few months we have uh, additions. Uh, so we have uh, physical volumes that are now available. There are uh, mechanisms for the snapshot. Unfortunately, not uh, um, not all the features that we are used to see in uh, enterprise storage are available in CSI yet. So there are a few issues when you when you look at uh, how to build your storage infrastructure for Kubernetes that uh, we have to take into account. So the the most common uh, deployment model for CSI is to have a, a plugin in each of the uh, host node or in each of the worker nodes and in the master nodes we have a controller plugin okay sometimes uh, it's a little bit more complex than that there are sidecars with that uh, uh, help with the uh, with special functions but actually this is just to simplify this introduction and uh, so what is the difference between containers and VMs when it comes to storage? And I want to show you this. Many of you probably already know this, but it's very important to understand what happens at the storage layers. OK, and and of course, you have uh, the application layout. Usually when we talk about v uh, VMs, virtual machines, you have one of few virtual machines that do everything. While on Kubernetes, you have many containers because the application is divided in microservices. The rate of change of this virtual machine is very, very low. So that there, uh, it's a static environment. You don't have uh, a lot of machine popping up when uh, the needs arise. Everything is not so automatic. While on Kubernetes, the, the environment is very dynamic. Uh, of course, the application that we have on, on, uh, on a virtual machine is stateful for a lot of reasons. While in Kubernetes, we have a lot of state, stateless containers and some stateful data volumes that are accessed by uh, some containers. This means also that the application status in a traditional environment is incorporated in a VM. This is also why I said that uh, the application is always stateful in a in a VMware environment, okay, in a virtualized environment in general. While in Kubernetes, we have some components, some parts of the application that are managed by external resources, for example, HCD and um, that uh, as... Oh, sorry, sorry. What? Uh, someone in, in the YouTube chat from Yasuvas, thank you for the question. Um, he's asking, would it support VMware CSI? So I'll say it again. Uh, would it support VMware CSI? Yes, we may have to ask you for a little bit more context, but if if that makes sense. Well, no, maybe maybe so. Uh, VMware CSI is one of the many implementations, and usually is a uh, is used with the Tanzu, which is their platform for Kubernetes. So it's uh, uh, when we talk about VMs in this case is to make a comparison between a traditional environment and a container-based environment. So we, we are not yet at the point where we, uh, we do a comparison about different implementation of CSI of different stacks. So I think that uh, maybe the, the question is too generic at the moment, but if the idea is to ask about uh, uh, if the VMs use CSI, no, this is not the case. And uh, just to close with this slide, um, usually you have a very few volumes attached to the VMs, while for containers, you can have many, uh, many different volumes that are uh, accessed by the application by these containers. So the, the environments are totally different. And there is another uh, important aspect to look when we uh, we want to implement an infrastructure, storage infrastructure for Kubernetes. Okay, maybe today we are on the left of this uh, slide. So where we have on-premises Kubernetes and we are selecting a storage for Kubernetes. But you know, a lot of uh, users deploy um, Kubernetes directly in the cloud, and you want to. Uh, uh, to use maybe the resources provided by by the cloud provider or in other cases it's a managed kubernetes so it's not something that you manage but uh, all the infrastructure like uh, eks or gks or one of these uh, 
many acronyms that means that uh, uh, Kubernetes is managed by the provider and they provide additional storage resources. What you want actually is not to use a different storage for each one of these because you want uh, to uh, leave the promise of Kubernetes that uh, to port your application where you need it. Okay, even if you start today with on-premises and you want to go to the cloud and then you want to go to a managed Kubernetes, then you want to have your data with your application. To have it, you, you need the same identical storage infrastructure because you don't want to uh, spend too much time, for example, waiting to copy your data to, uh, to another environment. So you want uh, uh, automations that do it for you. And it's also true for uh, other uh, other aspects, including disaster recovery and so on. That everything that we will touch later in this presentation. So, what are the differences between a Kubernetes native storage and an an enterprise storage? Okay, with uh, CSI compatibility. So, an enterprise storage that uh, is compatible with Kubernetes. Okay, if we look at the enterprise. Uh, storage probably you already have it I mean it's in your data center so you uh, download the CSI plugin it's available uh, most of the vendors already have them not all of them are really uh, up to the latest uh, CSI specifications but actually uh, it's already there so it's a uh, it's some something that you can use already the, the, the user interface is quite familiar. I mean, the same storage interface that you already had in the past, you configure a few things and it's ready to go. It's, uh, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't scale. We will touch this in, uh, in the key uh, criteria uh, section, but for most uh, of the enterprise solution that we have in our data center, when we think about Kubernetes, they are not ready to scale at, uh, uh, at the Kubernetes pace. And uh, uh, another thing about uh, uh, enterprise storage is that it is really efficient. I mean, everything has been designed with uh, uh, data services in mind. So you have uh, provisioning, you have uh, um, the duplication, uh, compression, and uh, snapshot, and remote replication, etc., etc. So everything is there. Not everything is well implemented. Uh, when we talk about Kubernetes, but actually is already there. And uh, last but not least, and this is important, it's very difficult to have hybrid deployments and we will touch again on this later. So it's a physical device. Do you have a physical device from your cloud provider? Maybe not. Maybe you have uh, something else, but actually it's not the same thing. So, and uh, last but not least, this is CSI compatible. So it gives the basic functionality just it. We will see later that there are other functionalities that some vendors are adding on top of CSI or in parallel to a CSI to make things better. So when we are talking about Kubernetes native, there is a huge difference. Oh, the first is uh, you have to acquire new resources, no matter if it's an open source or if it's a, a commercial solution, you have to acquire the software, you have to acquire the, the resources that could be serviced with uh, hard disks or uh, flash memory, but there are some hardware that you have to acquire. So the process is a little bit longer. Not for everybody it's so easy to purchase new hardware without a longer uh, list of uh, actions and so. The interface is probably new. Okay, that this is not really difficult. I mean, uh, all this uh, Kubernetes native software uh, can be um, controlled via APIs, they have a nice interface, not all of them, and uh, uh, command line interface is pretty intuitive in most of the cases. But again, it's a new interface, it's something that uh, uh, it's not for everybody, okay? Especially if you are uh, working in an environment where the DevOps team doesn't have the full control of the infrastructure. And this is very, it happens very often in a large organization where you have still traditional operation having control of the hardware underneath and uh, uh, the different the main difference is that uh, Kubernetes storage is very scalable compared to enterprise and I will talk about this again uh, in depth uh, later 
and uh, efficiency uh, so and so. I mean, some of these solution can implement uh, the duplication, can implement uh, um, compression, provisioning, etc., etc. But uh, it's we are far from the efficiency of uh, uh, an enterprise storage system. And uh, okay for uh, hybrid multi-cloud, meaning that you can deploy the same identical solution because it's deployed uh, in, the, in a container format in the end. You can deploy it wherever you want uh, and it runs in Kubernetes. And of course, there is uh, it goes beyond CSI. As I already mentioned, there are some features that are not implemented in the CSI yet or they are not uh, fully available and but in for this solution so for these vendors storage vendors are things that are already there that you can use so let's talk about the evaluation metrics i usually uh, think about evaluation metrics when you evaluate a new technology as very high level features or very high level characteristics that you want to see think about a car okay when you go to the um, to the car resellers, what what you want to see, what you want to talk about is comfort or performance or in general uh, safety. Okay, so these are high level metrics. Okay, but then you look at uh, uh, you, you make uh, your decision on on the details. So and these are the key criteria in my report. So for example, if you are looking at uh, at a new car today you're looking for safety and maybe uh, one key criteria for safety today could be uh, an electric engine. This, that is also uh, important for performance and uh, maybe for, uh, uh, for other you know, metrics of the car. So when we, we evaluate uh, storage for Kubernetes, there are a lot of metrics. Architecture is very fundamental today. Most of these solutions are really new. Some of them have uh, uh, architecture that are, you know, simple. Uh, doesn't mean that it's bad or, or good, but uh, simple also means that uh, if you look into them, uh, they are not uh, ready to scale uh, or they are not uh, implemented yet in, in a way that will, will allow you to, uh, to build a large infrastructure at a global scale. Um, in, I'm saying that because for example, to simplify the development process, most of these uh, solutions are based on file system, for example. Even if you are deploying block storage, they uh, tend to uh, rely on a file system. It's a good choice for uh, some, uh, some smaller environment or medium-sized environment. But actually, if you think about at large scale, you have another component to deal with, I mean, which is the file system on which the, your blocks are stored and it could be you know uh, easier at the beginning but in the long term could become more complicated to manage a solution like this in terms for example about tweaking uh, uh, tweaking the the performance optimizations and so on in uh, another important aspect as we said is scalability okay when we talk about scalability we talk about moving your uh, infrastructure from a bunch of uh, worker nodes to uh, hundreds maybe and uh, you want to be sure that everything scales especially when it comes to not only IOPS so not only the, uh, the, the operations that the system can provide on, on the physical disk but actually on everything that you manage so including analytics including uh, including uh, uh, manageability of the system and so on and uh, and another aspect is flexibility as we said uh, there are systems that are usually deployed on premises only there are other that are a little bit more sophisticated you can have you know a deployment also in the cloud but uh, uh, others can can give you many more options and many more uh, possibilities for for the future so flexibility probably is one of the most important here uh, at the moment looking at uh, most of my clients efficiency is another point uh, even if you start today 
with a small installations with a few terabytes of storage and you don't think it will become a huge problem in the um, in the short term in the long term efficiency is uh, is very important it could impact your tco infrastructure tco so efficiency is something that you start uh, you need to look at the very beginning so you don't uh, uh, don't avoid to, to to get you know what you already have from uh, enterprise storage also in kubernetes native there are some features that are, are you know uh, not ready yet but all the vendors are trying to make their solution more efficient and of course manageability and ease of use i and here i talk about you know yes everybody uh, in in this environment talks via apis or command line interface a, a nice user interface is necessary for uh, uh, the operations team in your organization they want to keep uh, th uh, things simple they want to have a data center mind case uh, use the system in many ways to to make you know standard processes that can be followed by everybody so think about also these things when when you start uh, uh, deploying a new infrastructure so with this in mind so with a with the high level metrics uh, to to make this kind of decision let's talk about the key criteria what they uh, what you should look in detail to find the best solution so one of the first thing that uh, is really important is advanced data services there are some solutions that allow you to go beyond snapshot okay if you think about basic data services pin provisioning snapshot uh, and things like that one very important thing is having synchronous data replication so having the possibility to move your data uh, synchronously between uh, uh, clusters that are uh, close by or regions in uh, sorry uh, availability zone in a in a, in a cloud provider uh, so you can have a higher availability from your system of course synchronous can be applied only when uh, the two systems are uh, close to each other. So another important feature is, is to look uh, is a asynchronous data replication. And this is important for other uh, aspects. So uh, having a copying of your data on a different uh, uh, region of a cloud or having an hybrid uh, uh, installation where you can have uh, an on-premises cluster in production and a second copy ready for disaster recovery in the cloud or vice versa or um, making copies of your data for other purposes for example so this is a, a way to implement of course there are other advanced data services some solutions uh, integrate a backup functionality and uh, in other cases you need uh, uh, a mechanism okay actually not in other cases sorry in uh, in most of the cases you need mechanisms to synchronize all the snapshots so there is no concept uh, in csi yet of the consistency group that is you know a, a way to uh, put all the volumes in a consistent state before taking a snapshot okay so that you flush your uh, data from ram uh, before taking a snapshot some vendors are more advanced than others in this uh, in this scenario and they can do this so this is another important step to take you know uh, your uh, services uh, at the, the right level for uh, you know enterprise grade services kind of uh, approach and as i said early okay if you think about your on-premises storage and you think about the traditional storage uh, in the cloud, there are some options, okay? So it's true that you most of the time you can't have a real uh, physical storage system in the cloud. Actually, there are some vendors that do it, but it's very expensive and it's not very flexible. Some vendors offer a uh, an approach that is uh, uh, quite simple so they provide a service that has uh, some similarities with their on-premises storage so you can use the same mechanism for example for asynchronous data replications okay or they provide you a virtual appliance that you can install in a, in a one ic2 instance for example okay and uh, and uh, there are as i said a third option with some vendors provided uh, 
providing a physical storage attached to uh, uh, the cloud provider that center. So you, you actually uh, renting part of this physical storage. Usually is the less uh, uh, flexible way to do it, but, but it's possible in, in some cases. So these are all things that you have to check uh, when it comes to data services. It's really important, it's really critical to, to get disaster recovery done, uh, having a backup done, uh, integrated with a solution, which is another um, important aspect if you want to keep costs down. And, and then there is performance, okay? We talked about performance, I mentioned performance several times. You have to think about performance, not about IOPS and throughput. I mean, everybody can do IOPS and throughput today. You just throw more resources to, to the system and probably you can get it because there are no longer bottlenecks, okay? And take this with a grain of salt. Of course, I'm simplifying here, but, but the idea is that we have NVMe storage, we have uh, uh, all the flash memory types. We can do performance, okay? What we can't do is provide resources to Kubernetes containers in uh, quickly. So some systems don't have, uh, first of all, uh, a CSI plugin that is mature enough. This is not optimized enough to provide uh, new resources at a very quick play, uh, at a very quick uh, uh, rate. So that, that, that could be the first problem. The other thing that uh, um, always happens is that your traditional storage system is not designed to provide hundreds of volumes in a matter of a meeting. And uh, so they, they are designed to provide less volumes in a very uh, long period of time. So this could be very challenging, especially because with some application, you can have volumes that disappear after a few minutes. So you create volume, you do what you have to do, and then the, the volumes uh, is killed uh, alongside the container. This can happen very often, and not all the systems are designed to cope with all this um, allocation and the allocation of resources. Uh, another big uh, issue with uh, um, with performance is resource orchestration. Not all the vendors today offer the ability, if you have a fleet of storage arrays, to allocate some space for Kubernetes in each single array and then orchestrate the resources in terms of what is the uh, best array for this workload? What is the uh, best, uh, uh, you know, where do I have... Um, capacity, where do you have more IOPS available and things like that. So this is not for everybody. And in some cases, it uh, could become an issue if you need a lot of resources in a, a limited amount of time. And, uh, and, and as I mentioned, the storage system control plate. So I already talked about this. It's about uh, uh, how fast you can provide new resources, how fast you can allocate them. So, uh, next point, optimization. Why optimization? Because optimization maybe uh, in some environments is not important today, okay? Because the environment is still small, but it's growing quickly, okay? So all the um, optimization that we saw um, over the years implemented in the enterprise storage arrays uh, will become important very quickly. Even if the vendor does not have it now, you have always to look if there are mechanisms to implement it. Or if there are, you know, some of these mechanisms already implemented, that means that they thought about it and you can have uh, uh, it implemented in a, in, a, in a near future when demand will arise. Uh, consider that as I said, uh, layered solution. So uh, when you have uh, uh, Kubernetes storage on top of file system, for example, and some of these optimization techniques are um, delegated to, to lower layers in the stack, it could work. But uh, it also means that the, the storage vendors uh, doesn't have full control of, all of the entire stack. It could be, you know, a simpler solution. It could be also a cheaper solution. Uh, 
it's not always the best solution. Actually, in many cases, could be very punitive and uh, for heavy workloads uh, when you know you have to do a lot of allocation, allocation of resources and deal with optimization at the same time. Multi-tenancy, and uh, as you know, with Kubernetes, multi-tenancy is fundamental in several aspects. For storage, is even more important. There are a few things that are implemented uh, in, uh, in storage. One is storage classes. You have to check if storage classes really work. And I'm not saying this because uh, some vendors uh, don't implement the storage classes, but because you want to be sure that when you ask a type of resource, you're sure that you get this type of resource and it's implemented correctly in the backend. So you, you, the, the right source resource is provided, it works like you, you think, and uh, uh, everything is aligned with the expectation from the application. There is another aspect which is uh, also very important is quality of service, okay, which is related to storage classes, but it's a little bit different because when you ask a, to, uh, a resource uh, providing a, a specific storage class, you take uh, some resources from a from a pool, okay. But if you if you allocate too many uh, of the same kind of resource, maybe you you have some contention, okay. Quality of service is important to avoid this contention. So even if you start from the same pool of resources, you have some applications that are more important than others. And when you start to uh, allocate a lot of uh, containers and uh, uh, deallocate them in a, in a quick pace, then you want to be sure that all these rules will be maintained over time. And of course, last but not least, there is another uh, important aspect, which is uh, I called it organi organizational multi-tenancy. So it's not only at uh, uh, the Kubernetes level, but actually uh, at all the level of the stack. So of course there is uh, role-based access control, which is uh, an important uh, part that uh, is important to manage your system. But actually there are a few other uh, components at the uh, in the storage backend, especially when we talk about the storage infrastructure that is not managed by the um, by the DevOps team. Okay, so you are asking uh, new resources from Kubernetes, but in the backend, there is an infrastructure that is managed probably by the different team. So, uh, so you want some self-service and uh, at the same time, the uh, operations team want to keep control of what uh, the guys at the Kubernetes level are doing. So this is very, complicated and it is a, a concern in many organizations. So having it implemented by the system, so giving flexibility, but it's a, as at the same time observability of what is happening in the system is very important. And also, also this includes also some chargeback or maybe more showback kind of functionality. Security, security is important for everybody and uh, everyone, even if we are not uh, uh, experiencing yet the same level of security issues that we have with other storage systems like ransomware is not yet very prevalent in Kubernetes like uh, it could be in other environments. Okay, but it's only uh, a question of time before we will reach the, that kind of level. Uh, it's uh, it's because mostly because adoption and uh, but we want to, to start and, of course, having encryption. So encryption is important for several reasons. Yes, we, we, I took a ransomware, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. It is the most common thread that you can read on everywhere. But actually, you want everything encrypted also because when you talk about Kubernetes storage, you are encrypting data today on premises. And tomorrow, when you go to the cloud with the same application and the same data, you want to be sure that everything is encrypted, especially uh, if the cloud is not managed by uh, by you. So it's not an hosted solution, but it's managed solution. So you want to keep, you know, a level of security across all the all your infrastructure that is similar. And so secure, encryption is a very important key feature of your uh, Kubernetes storage. And of course, with it, 
comes all the key management, which is a, a, a very important aspect of encryption. And, uh, and as I said, uh, uh, all the storage solution you are implementing today should be compliant with the uh, role-based uh, access mechanism that are provided by Kubernetes. It's becoming table stakes here. So it's uh, everybody is implementing it in the right way, but actually uh, give it a quick check because uh, still today there are a couple of solutions that are not yet there. One, and uh, probably this is the last very important uh, uh, point, is monitor and analytics. Okay, we have analytics and monitoring storage since forever. Okay, it improved a lot. We have AI um, uh, techniques now involved to, uh, to get a clear view of what is happening, what is going to happen in, uh, if the trends uh, are... Um, are, are what we are experiencing today and things like that. So there is a lot of proactive actions that the system can do for you, like even open ticket if something goes wrong with a disk or with a flash device. So that's a, uh, it really simplifies the mechanism. The problem is today that not all the solutions are porting these functionalities to Kubernetes. Okay, and with this, I mean, of course, you are de deploying uh, a storage for Kubernetes and you want to have full visibility on the Kubernetes environment as a whole, but only, uh, but also on uh, on what each single application does, what uh, how your resources for Kubernetes are located and how they are working and so on. So this is a very important aspect, especially uh, because we want to understand when it's time to uh, to do, you know, uh, uh, new purchases of hardware or, you know, for capacity planning in general, resource planning in general. And today is very difficult because most of the solution, especially the traditional enterprise solution, uh, do not implement mechanism to uh, get a full view of the single application or the full view of all the containers allocated. They see the volumes as lands in the backend, and that's it. So making it very difficult for for the for the sysadmin or for the uh, DevOps team to understand what is really happening at the application level for their Kubernetes environment when it comes to storage. So I have another question for you, and uh, maybe Bart, uh, you you want to share the link. So what is the most important criteria for you after this presentation? So advanced data services, everything related to uh, advanced snapshot, consistency group, uh, replication to remote uh, uh, infrastructure, performance and optimization, I put them together because they uh, go inside each other, optimization, oops, I made a mistake here, uh, multi-tenancy and monitor and analytics. So, um, Yep, the, uh, the question the security the question of was security, sorry about that. That's me. okay, that's okay, no worries. The question's in the chat, so people can answer that way. So, uh, let's go to the next uh, part of the presentation then, So, which is emerging technology. What is happening at the storage level for Kubernetes when we talk about enterprises? Okay, one thing that uh, it's, uh, uh, it's important today and uh, uh, many, many, organizational talking about is uh, edge use cases okay edge use cases meaning having very small cluster deploying uh, one or two applications uh, at the far edge and sometimes we are talking about telco towers so very very small environment so most of the solutions that we have today are not yet optimized for these edge use cases so if you're thinking about uh, uh, building something in this regard, so your edge infrastructure, and you are going to deploy uh, Kubernetes in remote location, and you want a, a, a storage that is you know manageable from a single uh, console, uh, a centralized console, and uh, uh, having information of these uh, storage systems and deploy them in very tiny environment and things like that this is very important this is the time to start thinking about it not all the solutions are ready for this very few actually but uh, it's a it's a concern 
for, for some organizations, especially very large organizations. So we will see more and more of this in the next uh, uh, 12, 18 months. And another important initiative is uh, COSI. So it's like CSI, but for object storage. Okay, and you will see that more solutions will implement uh, a, a COSI plugin. So traditional object stores are already moving to containerize themselves, becoming more Kubernetes friendly. There are some solutions that are already fully containerized and they can provide this kind of solution. COSI is not yet there, but it, it is a, a new specification with a you know, a lot of interest from vendors and of course from users. There is a lot of demand. And of course you will find, as we, we saw in the past, okay, so the unification of flash, uh, sorry, of files and blocks for, for primary storage. Then we will add also object storage for these storage technologies. And maybe this, this could happen uh, additional use cases. And with this, I want just to give you uh, again, um, uh, a, a view on uh, on the iteration between uh, you know the metrics and the key criteria that uh, we have analyzed. Uh, when when I prepare my 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 reports, of course I put together all this information and I try to give uh, to the reader one, um, uh, something that is uh, you know aligned to the general. Uh, audience okay to the to the enterprise but actually uh, for example if you look at the various uh, key criteria that we analyze and the metrics you could have some differences I mean for example for you monitoring and analytics could be less important when it comes to manageability of ease of use than what I thought uh, this comes from interviews that we had with uh, enterprise and users but again, you could be in a vertical, you could be in a, in a different uh, uh, scenario where you have different needs. So what I said is true in general, but not for the single use case sometimes. And this is at the base of the next section. So how do we build our uh, market landscapes? So our market landscape for Kubernetes native storage looked like this. Okay, you have a, a bunch of vendors. Some of them are running very fast, like Robin.io, Portworks, Diamante, NetApp, Red Hat. Okay, but not all of them are general uh, platform players. I mean, platform players in the case means that they can play with different Kubernetes. They can play on different environments and they can do uh, they can support you in multiple types of environments. Okay, others are more specific to a single environment. For example, VMware has a solution for Kubernetes storage, but actually it is designed to work only with VMware. We are not saying that is a bad solution. In fact, they are close to the you know um, central circle where we have the leaders. But actually, it's designed only for this solution, as well as for. Red Hat and, uh, and NetApp, for example, okay, while other like Portworx or Robin.io, they are focused on uh, serving a larger uh, number of use cases. Uh, as, as you can see, there is a lot of innovation going on. So all the vendors in this area are in the innovation quadrant of this, uh, uh, of this chart, because, you know, all of them are adding features very quickly and we don't have uh, forward movers, which are our slow movers in, in this area. So everybody is moving very quickly. They, they, uh, they are adding features. Some of them are more focused on an area. Others are more platforms. But that's to give you that uh, uh, there is a lot of movement in the market. Actually, for the, uh, we can say the same for the uh, traditional storage vendors. Some of them are still very, uh, very interesting. And, and you can see that vendors like Pure Storage and NetApp, they have the same solution for both their, you know, traditional storage as well as the uh, Kubernetes native storage. Uh, Pure Storage acquired Portworks not a long ago. So this is why you saw Portworks in the other, uh, sorry, in the other radar. And here you see Pure Storage. But actually there are some vendors that are doing pretty well from this point of view, while others are catching up with features. So, and a few of them have a basic CSI implementation. 
nothing bad with it. I mean, maybe it's just because their customers are not yet ready to implement Kubernetes at scale. But uh, this is something that you have to check if you want to, um, to implement Kubernetes with one of these vendors. So that said, uh, as I said, very few vendors are interpreted it right at the moment uh, when it comes to Kubernetes storage. So I'm open now for all the questions and maybe we can review what we learned from the audience. Okay, good. Slack. Um, so the first one going, uh, touching on monitoring, when you, uh, let's see, so where are we going? Um, from a monitoring standpoint, which metrics should we care most about when thinking about storage? Should we really alert um, a memory capacity if we have auto scaling enabled, for example? No, so that, uh, when we talk about storage, usually you think about latency to access the data and, uh, um, and IOPS. Okay, these are the two most important. Of course, also throughput, depending on the, on the kind of workload, but uh, let, let's let's concentrate for a for a second on on IOPS and latency, and uh, you want to have them consistent. Okay, mm -hmm. you don't want spikes, you don't want to want uh, uh, drops or things like that. And uh, so the problem today is that uh, even if you have a Prometheus exporter, right, so you have to aggregate all the information from all the volumes, and this gets even more complicated if your application is distributed on top of several storage arrays. This is why I talked about an orchestrator. So you are, you get uh, the full picture of the volume and then you get all the data from the storage system and you move it to the um, to maybe uh, Prometheus or you know a tool provided by by the vendor. It's a uh, uh, very few are implementing it right at the moment because you want to know everything. I mean, the latency that the application sees first, but then you want to see what happens in the backend as well. I mean, uh, so uh, having a full picture is, uh, is still uh, something that very few do. Okay, um, next question. Do you have any insights? Well, because some of the questions you were asking as well too, I think might relate to this. Any insights on industry adoption of Kubernetes as of 2021? Um, how quickly will the trend grow in your opinion? And is there any container orchestration system that might beat Kubernetes? Uh, okay, so the the question is very long. So option yeah. rate of well, we can start we can we can go by in pieces. So the first one regarding industry adoption of Kubernetes in 2021, um, what do you see? You know, what are the challenges that organizations are still having to get into Kubernetes? And then further from that, okay. when we're talking about storage data, etc. So the adoption is there now. So we moved, uh, we are past to the, you know, first POC, first evaluation period, first application in many cases, okay? So people are starting to deploy in production. Then the size of the Kubernetes environment in, in the infrastructure is something different, okay? So if you look at a small organization, Kubernetes is not there. If you're looking at, I mean, small enterprise organization, I'm not talking yeah. about a startup, you know, building a new application, uh, that's a different. Uh, so if you if you're talking about a traditional, let's say manufacturing company or yeah. so a, a small organization, really don't know what Kubernetes is. They don't really care. They don't actually. They are moving to the cloud, but it's more about adopting the cloud as a SaaS thing. So uh, not a lot of customized application porting. If we look at the large organization, including finance, banks, manufacturing, okay, where there are resources, then it's massive. I mean, there are a lot of initiatives to rebuild the application, move the application. I talked to, uh, to a larger um, organization here in Italy a couple of weeks ago, and they moved from zero to 20,000 cores. Uh, for, for their Kubernetes environment in the last two years. Okay. And they are planning to move uh, several other applications and moving to 80,000 core for the end of 2022. Okay, yes. so this is, you know, accelerating very, very quickly. And in fact, we were there talking about storage issues, storage challenges everywhere. Okay, because they want to do it in an hybrid way. So they have their data center, they have their operation team, 
and they want to leverage the cloud they want to keep uh, uh, disaster recovery uh, pr procedures that are already in place you know also for mm -hmm. uh, this application etc 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 so that's that's the kind of challenges so kubernetes is there many more uh, users are uh, adopting it they are doing it seriously Actually, there is a lack of, uh, you know, skills and uh, sometimes. Oh, that's a classic thing as well. Like you said, one thing is the technology. The other thing is, you know, are there enough practitioners who have experience, which is partially why our community exists so that knowledge can be circulated. And that's a really good point. So what, uh, there was another part of this question. Yes, there is. Yeah. Um, so I think I think you, you covered the part about the trend. Um, is there any container orchestration system that might beat Kubernetes in in the next few years? That was that, that was a follow up. Uh, no, I don't think there is anything uh, in my radar at the moment. I mean, yeah, Kubernetes already won. Maybe there will be the next Kubernetes, but we are not there yet. I mean, uh, yeah, for the time being, that's the thing. People are still adopting and getting used to this. So to, to put something else out there, I think might just get overwhelming. All right. Um, another question that we had from someone in our community. Um, let's see. Uh, so is storage in Kubernetes highly available? And if so, is it highly available by default? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, if you're looking at a, an enterprise solution, yes. Okay. So usually enterprise solution, uh, solution adopted by enterprise are um, highly available, very resilient and things. You can have storage for Kubernetes. There are some solutions where you can turn it off. Okay. So, and uh, because for some workloads, especially in HPC, AI, big data, where you have a data sets, you know, large data set that are stored in maybe object store or large files, uh, file servers, NAS, uh, or file system in general. And then you need to create, uh, let's say, ephemeral volumes. Okay that need to stay alive for uh, for a few minutes, for a few hours, or maybe one day during you know the, your compute task, then you can remove all this availability thing because mm -hmm. you can recreate the environment very quickly and losing data is not your major concern while speed and uh, cost maybe are uh, are more important for you. So it's it's possible. You Most of the solution can allow you uh, to do that the most enterprise one not really all right okay but because um, it's not it's not something that you know uh, enterprise customer ask all right um for those new to storage in kubernetes could you explain the difference between static and dynamic provisioning yes uh it it's uh it's quite simple i mean uh, it's uh static provisioning and dynamic provisioning are actually two ways to uh, to provide storage to kubernetes and uh, the dynamic provisioning is a is a is a mechanism for which you have a, a vast pool of resources and you can allocate and allocate uh, storage very quickly usually uh, i think most of the time you have a dynamic provisioning with a, with a file uh, platform in the back end so that uh, it's way easier to allocate resources without uh, uh, allocating the backend uh, all the resources at once. So when when you allocate the first resource, like a LAN, then you allocate uh, immediately the resource in a static way to to the to the container. While if you do allocate storage with a uh, with a, a dynamic provisioning mechanism, you can have a, a, a simpler way to allocate and allocate resources in backend. Okay, um, I'm gonna. Put a list here. Well, I'll I'll send it to you here in the in the Zoom chat, and then I'll put it also on YouTube. Um, someone was asking, uh, got a list of all the different um, storage plugins, um, and wanted to ask you about which one, if you had any favorites, and why, or ones that you've worked with more, and that you, that you might have more experience with. Taking a look at that really quickly, I'll put this also here in the YouTube link. Uh, there are well, lots. So yeah. the, the problem is not about what is my favorite plugin because yeah. the plugin is uh, uh, is about the storage that uh, there is in the backend. So the question should be what is my favorite in um, uh, backend for this uh, CSI plugin? So you yeah. you start the plugin because you have the storage. Uh, I mean, uh, there are a couple of differences here. So you have uh, block, uh, 
sorry, you, you have a cloud and uh, and you have a, a solution that you install on premises, for example. So actually, I think that, uh, uh, for example, if you look at storage OS, just to read one, you can use it only with storage OS. So do you like storage OS? Yes, it's a good solution. Uh, and the same goes for OpenEBS. You can't use OpenEBS with something else. So, so it's not, uh, uh, it really depends on the use case. So mm -hmm. I don't want to go onto the list and say this is better than the other because yeah. uh, it, it, most of the, uh, well, act, actually some of them are, are, are not even uh, uh, more, I don't even know, for example, Flocker is, is still a thing, but um, let's say that in general, uh, you don't, uh, uh, you, you choose the storage solution and the CSI is the driver for that storage solution. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you look at my radars, there are leaders and these are my favorite solutions. I mean, what yeah. we evaluated as as Gigaom as the, the best solution in the market at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and related to that as well too, regarding best solutions and, and what's on your radar, you're obviously a person, I ask this question in most of our meetups, you're obviously a person who reads a lot, who interacts with a lot of resources. Um, and you know, there's not one magic solution. I think it's you know, something even we talked about in yesterday's meetup, you know, there's not you know one perfect video or one perfect book, but you as a person who has a lot of experience working in this field, what are the re what are your habits for learning? You know, how do you stay in touch with with the new things that are going on? Um, what what recommendations might you to give to folks once again? Because you said there's a big skill gap here. So what are the what are the ways in in your experience that have worked for you to sort of narrow that gap um, well, and get more information? Well, I am in a fortunate position. I mean, uh, so the, the fact that I am an analyst, people want to talk with me. So yeah. that's a uh, that's. You can talk to Enrico, everybody. <laughs> you can do that. So the, uh, I I have a lot of interviews with both users and vendors, and I connect the dots. So if I find many users wanting the same feature, and uh, I, I check with the vendors if they are developing this kind of feature to understand if uh, you know they are going to to have a, a solution that makes sense for you know the, the majority of the uh, of the users that, that's the idea in general I, uh, I am in touch with uh, several communities so just to get uh, still get an idea of what is really happening with the practitioners mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and that's it I mean I still informal with uh, events physical events when possible when we will be able to travel again, yes. I, I, uh, because because I am an analyst again, I, I can talk with uh, several people in the not only you know on the marketing side but also on the engineering side and what is happening in the development, the roadmap of the of the solution. So again, for me, it's probably different than many others. I suggest that community like this is one of the most important uh, uh, source of information today much more than vendors uh, yeah. because of course the vendors has to sell the, so, yeah. Yeah. the solution and you'll get a great you'll get a great video and a demo and all the stuff that you want about the oh, product yeah. so you have to yeah. talk with people that already implemented that is you know um, somehow trying to make the same decision that you're you trying to make so yeah. and see uh, with common sense why they're doing this and why not mm -hmm. Very, very good. Um, that being said, can I ask you to stop sharing your screen so I can share mine really quickly? Yes, sure. Okay. Um, we have a tradition um, in our community that we always like to have a visual representation of things um, as, as we're finishing up. So I will, while we were talking, um, our wonderful graphic recorder, Angel, I think you can see my screen now. You should be able to. Can you see my screen? Good. So while we were talking, Angel created a graphic representation of all representation of all the different things that you touched on. Obviously, we would probably need three or four drawings to really show everything because there was a lot of things that were mentioned there. Um, but I think it's a nice summary. And of course, we got a little bit of gelato in there. It's a very hot day. Um, it sounds like a really nice thing to have. Um, if only we could mix those things together. I think in the future, I would like to do another meetup with you, Enrico, and we could focus on how we can compare and contrast the gelato world um, to the world of data storage on Kubernetes. We, we can, we can. Of course, it's uh, gelato. I mean, I, I have a, a lot of uh, hobbies, not only gelato. As you saw in my in my bio, there is gelato, there is gin, 
which is an okay. Question, uh, that, right? We can do That's that too. Nice. We can do that. Yeah, we can do that. I don't think anyone's got a problem with that. Um, we, I think it would be it would be a good a good way to petition to have a KubeCon or something celebrated in Rimini, so we can enjoy all the other things that are there, and we can also do a, a blind tasting for gin. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> do you, really quickly though, do you have a favorite gin? Can I ask that? Well, actually, I have many, and it really depends on the occasion. Um, yeah. Uh, so th there is a, a gin that is produced in uh, in, uh, in Tuscany. Okay. Now that uh, I really enjoy uh, it, of course, most of my gin is is about gin and tonic. But this particular mm. one is something that I can drink also, you know, raw without uh, any other addition, and it's wow. really really neat. Good. Okay. Oh, gin from Tuscany. I never really heard about bad things coming out of Tuscany. Well, no, yeah. Actually, so. <laughs> actually, is a is a, an English guy, you know, that moved to Tuscany, and mm -hmm. because, of course, it, it was not, uh, you know, there was no gin like yeah. he wanted, like like the one he wanted, so he he started doing it. Yeah, but I think, it's, and this happens with tons of businesses. Someone suffers from a problem, so they provide a solution to a problem that they previously had. Um, so that's good. That's good. All right. Anyway, so there, there's plenty more that we can talk about um, in terms of links and things like that. If if somebody wants to get in touch with you, you know, with your role as, a, as an analyst, um, the best way to do it is through Twitter, through LinkedIn. Well, What's the best Twitter way? is easy. I'm not always there, but I'm listening on Twitter. So okay. is uh, something that you, you can find me there and LinkedIn, whatever, any social media, probably I have an account. Okay, very, very good. TikTok, we still didn't get, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not on TikTok yet either. Um, we still have a couple of questions that we didn't get to, but we'll try to we'll try to address those in Slack. Um, Enrico, thank you so much for your time today. This was extremely informative. Um, thanks to everyone for participating um, for the questions. Really, really good stuff. And we have another this week. We have three meetups. We'll have another meetup tomorrow with another Italian person by chance, uh, Gabriel Bartolini from EDB. We'll be, uh, we'll be talking about um, Postgres, Enterprise Kubernetes, um, and lots of other stuff there. Um, so Enrico, once again, thank you very much for your time and look thank forward you. to having you back with us soon. Okay, bye-bye. All right, take care. Ciao.